the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber. I'm Kate Oda. I'm James Moore. And today we are going to be talking about On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. And this is a spoiler alert. If you have not read the book, take a break from listening to this podcast. Go read the book and then come back because we will be talking about it in depth and we'll give away lots of important plot points. So it is a young adult contemporary novel and it is about teen rapper Brie and she kind of goes viral for her rap that's pretty controversial and she gets some positive and negative attention for it but that's kind of the the main the main plot that's going on so what were your overall thoughts and impressions well overall i really enjoyed reading the book it was nice going back into some of my my rap roots i don't rap myself but i grew up where that that genre that that art of expression was you know in its infancy and coming up and the author obviously knows her history when it comes to that so i enjoyed reading about that it, it was a it was a very easy pleasant read oh cool uh, i know nothing about rap but i also enjoyed it <laughs> at any given moment i didn't know what was a real reference and what was like a fictional reference but i i still really enjoyed the story i thought it was paced very well and i i got mad at the characters but at the appropriate moments so i i enjoyed it yeah it was refreshing to have an imperfect YA lead character because sometimes you feel like there are these heroes and heroines that that can do no wrong right but we're all flawed and especially teenagers whether they want to admit it or not Uh, (laughs) so it it was nice to see someone making mistakes and figuring out how to navigate the aftermath of making mistakes we'll talk about whether it was really mistakes or not or appropriate Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, It was easy to read as far as like complexity, but the issues were complex, which made it hard to read on that level. But I didn't I didn't feel like it was as like earth shattering as the hate you give. But maybe that's because she's already paved the path for herself. Because I think before Angie Thomas, we didn't have books that were this raw about gang violence with teenagers and and just so open about everything and not trying to hide anything about what is reality for for a lot of teenagers and people when she wrote The Hate You Give it was so different from everything else I had ever read and it was about police brutality and and guns and that sort of thing and it was so timely too with with everything going on in the world so reading this book because it takes place in the same town it didn't feel all new to me in that way. But again, she did that work for herself the first time. So it is awesome that now there are more books that can tackle tough subjects and make it feel easy, even though I'm sure it was not. And and I'm sure she's gotten a lot of backlash for both of the books that she's written, as well as positive feedback. Yeah, I want to say like, you know, how schools or libraries or whoever decides to like ban books, I think they've both been banned. Uh, She's pretty funny on Twitter about it. So (laughs) that's good. Yeah, I saw an interview with her on NPR. And she did mention the books being banned and and how she kind of liked that, because it meant that she was saying something important, and that more kids wanted to read it because it was banned because they, <laughs> you know, want what they aren't allowed to have. So she was kind of 
joking about that as well. So on the topic of being controversial, how do you feel the topics were addressed and is it appropriate for a YA kind of book? Well, I thought it was appropriate. It's a, it's a, I understand why this, this book and maybe her other book, I haven't read the other book, but if it's in the same style and dresses some of the same issues, I understand why they're banned in some areas, but it's, it's sad that it's, it's banned in those areas. And, and because of the reason why just reading the book, she's touching upon issues that are real and have to be addressed, but are being ignored. Not to say that every single uniform at a school is out to profile kids, but there's so many that are that we need to talk about it. Basically, that's what I get from that. And I think that she did a very good job of touching upon that with the incidents that happened to the main character Mm -hmm. and with other folks in the school. And plus the social reaction to that, because it varied depending on whose kid was involved and who, which parent we were talking about. So I, I really like the fact that this book is out there and that she's getting publicity about being banned because maybe this will be another motivation for these issues to be addressed. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good book to look at some issues from a teenage perspective and what a teenager would actually go through. Like Brie is not out there trying to get the gangs out of her neighborhood because a, a teenager is not going to be able to do that, uh, especially by themselves. And so it's, you know, how does she navigate gangs being in her neighborhood? How does she navigate being profiled at school? The, it talked about the code switching that she does between school mm-hmm. and the neighborhood. And, and it, it was almost like giving hints of like, if this happens to you, here's one way it could go. Think about that. And whether that was a good way to go or a bad way to go uh, depends. But I, I thought it was a really, a really interesting way to look at things. Just focus on one person and what they went through. Just follow them all the way through it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is done in a more realistic way. The Hate You Give was about her friend who gets shot and killed by a police officer. And there's a lot of like social justice that goes into the book and some riots and protests and like more high stakes stuff. I like there were some high stakes things in this book too, but like that was like you are like putting everything out there, your safety, your life everything. So I felt like this book kind of scaled that back and was a little bit more of, okay, what could a teenager safely and realistically do to stand up for themselves and for their community. And granted, not every teenager is going to get the opportunity to go viral with a rap or anything like that. But it, it just shows that there's more than one way to handle injustices in in your community and in the larger society. Uh, so what did you think about her rap then? Do you think that... So she claims that it was a lot of metaphors, that she wasn't actually talking about guns or wasn't talking about these things. Do you think she should have taken more ownership of the fact that, well, she was actually saying these things regardless of the underlying meaning? Or do you think that it's also like part of the rap culture to talk about real things that are happening, whether they're appropriate for a teenager to be rapping about? Or what were your thoughts on that? Okay, so I'm really bad at interpreting poetry uh <laughs> and i have a terrible sense of rhythm so reading it i was like just trying to read it as prose 
and I, I got the metaphors and I got that she was angry about it. And she's like, well, this is who you think I am. And, and kind of putting that vibe on it. But of course, people don't listen to the whole song. They grab whatever snippets and just sing it, even if it's out of context of the rest of the song. Um, so I see why it backfired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you sat down and you looked at the lyrics, but then again, sometimes rap songs go so fast and maybe not everyone caught all the words. It was hard to tell. So Right, when you yeah. hear it coming out of the mouth of, what was it, like a five-year-old or whatever that was her fan, then, then it's even more jarring. Like, oh, the little kid is saying something about a gun. That's, that's eye-opening there. So what did you think? Well, I got so much to say on that. All right. Well, let me, let me say first that I, I like the way the author built up the character of Brie showing that she obviously has talent. Because when you freestyle, you know, you go in there, you don't have anything written down. You're having, they just give you a beat and you just have to go and you have to battle against someone, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Or at least it was way back once upon a time when I would ride my dinosaur to the rap battles or whatever. <laughs> that that's a real thing and you get your reputation that way. Can you think on your feet? Can you say something clever? That sort of thing. And she's, her mind works like that. So that established her as a, a true gifted rapper. When she wrote that, that first rap and the lyrics in there, let me first tell you that everybody's, everybody that, that matters is going to know every single word because when something new and hot comes out or they say something with fire, you study, I mean, we would study the words in school. We say, oh, we want, because we want to repeat it ourselves. That's how it was when it was coming up. Oh, you're not cool unless you can do this rap, unless you can be their parrot, you know? So everybody's going to understand the words, but maybe not the meaning the way she did it, okay? And I like the fact that even though she was gifted, she was a good rapper and that sort of thing, she's still a teenager. And as soon as I saw those lyrics, I said, oh, this is a mistake, this is not going to go well. And her friend Malik caught on it like that. Her even Aunt Pooh caught on it like that. Oh, this is not you. You can't say stuff like this. And it's going to get you in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Because as a teenager, she couldn't anticipate what even her people was going to, you know, take from that. Oh, she's she's hardcore. She's strapped all the time. You know, she's going to, she's a future gang leader. That's basically what she's saying mm-hmm. in that What's driving her is her anger at the man, the society, whereas that's not exactly what she was saying. And she didn't know how to say it correctly to get the right response and was confused when she got a different response. So I think that was I think that was all very well done. Yeah. And that leads you to wonder about a lot of the rap songs that are popular and people are like, oh, my gosh, look at the lyrics of these songs. When you really start to analyze it, could you dig deeper and find a meaning beyond what's at the surface? Like some songs are like that swaggerific song where it's just just a catchy <laughs> tune, right? A catchy tune. There's not some deeper meaning, but there are. I'm not super well versed in rap either, but I did some digging on Angie Thomas, and she classifies herself as a rapper. Like she was a teen rapper. She said she claimed she was not good, but she did <laughs> some like rap battles and stuff. And someone on the interview, she was talking about her experience with that. But she was more of the one that kind of cheated and had pre-written material. And so she wanted, she said she was not very skilled at the freestyle. So she wanted to be able to convey through Brie how it could be done and how some people are very skilled at it. She clearly did a good job showing the thought process, which... I think would be very complicated to figure out how to write someone's thought process as they're writing a rap. Like I wouldn't even know the first thing. I am so not musically gifted that even if I had to sit down and write a song, it would take me forever. 
I couldn't even write a poem, but to come up with something that everyone's staring at you and all the pressure and to have something rhyme and have a deep meaning underneath it, it's, I'm sure it's so, so challenging and honestly gave me a lot of respect for the people who do have that skill. But a fun fact that she said in her interview is that she was inspired by 8 Mile, Eminem movie, and she said that kind of influenced her story a little bit. And the rap battle Jim was called Jimmy's, which was the character's name in 8 Mile. Mm -hmm. So that was a little nod to that movie. A lot of the books, she said, was based on her own neighborhood. She's from Jackson, Mississippi. And so she kind of grew up around gangs. And she said it was a neighborhood that everyone else knew to stay away from unless you absolutely couldn't avoid it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I really liked how she would have Brie notice rhyming and notice, like, think about the how many syllables or whatever was going on. And like, this is a slant rhyme with this and I can do this and point out this. And then she would just do it. And I was like, oh, because I, I used to do college improv, just just comedy, no singing. And that was hard enough to try to be funny on the fly, but to also like keep a beat and rhyme and and be clever. I I couldn't have done it. So I, I really liked how that was shown in the book. That was some really, really good writing. Yeah, I, I thought that they did a cool job incorporating pop culture too, which can be a little hit or miss with with books because I think we talked about this in one of our other episodes about how uh, Harry Potter had something about some game system that is now obsolete. So that kind of dates it a little bit. When YA books, now a lot of the really popular ones have lots of pop culture references and social media references, which could easily date the book. But at the same time, it also makes it so timely and relevant to teens. And I think a second time author has the luxury to do that because if they know their book is going to be published and it's going to be published within the year, then they can have their book come out. It could be a huge hit. And then even a couple of years from now, even if some of the references are outdated, it's, it's not really a big deal, but she had a lot of nerdy, we'll say nerdy references, which was pretty cool to see a lead woman that had interest in things that would typically be nerdy, but but she was never shown as being a nerd or an outcast or anything like that at school as far as like with her peers and, you know, not the typical like nerd stereotype that it seems like YA books either classify people as like, you have nerdy interests, so you're a nerd, you, you know. It's those clicky things. So it's nice to see that that bubble is not <laughs> yeah. there in a lot of books recently. I, I could tell Harry Potter came up both in On the Come Up and in the Hate You Give movie. I don't know about the book. Sorry, everyone's going to hate that. <laughs> but I, I loved that Harry Potter came up because nerdy things like Harry Potter can be so universal and it can make someone like me who has not a lot in common with Brie, right? I don't live in a neighborhood like that. I, I didn't go to a fancy high school. I don't have any of the problems that she had, but I love Harry Potter. So she brings <laughs> up Harry Potter. I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I think it, it, it especially brings together a lot of people of like our, our generation uh, and teenagers who are still reading it because it's still available and it can be a, a thing that brings people together. But I also think that maybe Angie Thomas, this is a theory, wants to put things that are relevant now in these books, to pin them to this time period so that in the future people are looking back and they're like, wow, remember all those police shootings? Aren't we glad we solved that problem, guys? Remember that? So that it'll be like, this was a problem, but only back here in the in the late teens. I like that theory. And I hope that that comes true. <laughs> <laughs> we can dream. <laughs> Yeah, that is a nice theory. I, I like I like the fact that the, the book kind of cemented itself in certain times because it gives you an idea of the, the time frame where these people were growing up. When they start talking about playing Mario Kart and being crazy about that, that establishes a certain time frame when they talk about Harry Potter and that sort of thing. It, it brings people together, like you say. But the book also did something which I thought was was very artistic, was that in a group where you might assume everybody's the same, it showed the differences. Like her friend Malik, she explained to Malik, you know, you're you're not on easy street, but you're not worried about your next meal. I'm worried about my next meal. Yeah. You know, and even he didn't get that. So within our African American community, sometimes that's lost. Okay. And there are differences that we bring about ourselves and judge each other on. I mean, that was touched in the book too especially in church. And that mm. that was dead on accurate as far as the backbiting and the sideway comments and you got to have the biggest hat in the hall. <laughs> that's that's totally, she didn't make that up. That's totally accurate. Yeah, I think that that's another reason why this book is so important for teenagers to read because I'm going to say that probably most of the teenagers reading this book cannot personally relate to what's going on. I'm sure there are. And, and I think that um, it's great for those teenagers who can see themselves in books and their experiences in books. But also I think her goal is for the opposite to open up people's eyes that it's not everyone is lumped together and everyone has the same experiences. If Even if they're from the same community, the same neighborhood, the same school, they experience things radically different. They have different opinions on what's happening to them as well and how to handle it. And, and I think that's a really important distinction. And I think it's interesting that her choice was to put the main character in a fancy private school, which also has a different experience than other teenagers in her neighborhood that are going to the public schools and how different that would look. So I wonder if, because The Hate You Give was the same way. She went to the, the private school, but lived in uh, what you would classify as like the rough neighborhood and commuted back and forth. So I'm curious to see if in her next book, she explores the public school experience and how that might look. But I would think that she's probably going based on a lot of her own experiences for authenticity, which is that was my guess. Also important. Yeah, I was going to guess that she probably went to a, a private school or got bused to a different school. Yeah, I, that's something I could relate with Brie on a lot because I went to a Catholic school. And we weren't bust a ship there, but our families sold chocolate. My mom had, you know, an extra job at night. My dad saved every penny he could. So his three kids, their three kids could go to a Catholic school because going to public school in some cases was, you know, you're sentencing your kid to basically going to a prison. And it was, it's better. It was better then 
and we saw it as prison than it is now. So some parents did anything they could to send their kid to a private school with a nun in it. So Yeah. And then you think about the kids who can't, that even if their parents try everything they can, they can't send them. So who, you know, who's left, who's left at the public school and what resources do they have at their disposal if they tried everything and they couldn't get into a private school, a safer school or mm-hmm. whatever they want to call the school, but not the prison feeling school. Right. And I don't know if you guys follow this, but this is a huge national controversy as to whether we should support a public school system or the government gives vouchers to people so that they can attend private schools and privatize it. And one of the reasons why it's a huge issue is it's a huge issue, especially in intercity areas like Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, that sort of thing. Because of the atmosphere that or the attitude that they're not addressing those issues in those public schools. They're just not. So some people see it as a choice between ignoring that problem, you know, just let that problem go and give people vouchers to try and escape it or we fix the problem. Both of those are expensive, but what do you want to spend your money on? I'm not running for office, but <laughs> on the political side of things, it's a choice between those two. And if you choose one, you're a Democrat liberal. And if you choose the other, you're a Republican conservative. I'm not going to tell you which one. Yeah. I have a lot of strong feelings about this. I So I have a master's in early childhood ed- education. I did my student teaching in Columbus, which not as big of a city as uh, some other big cities, but it it was the city and charter schools were the big thing there. And charter schools are growing all over the country. And so same thing, but the difference between like a private school and a charter school is that charter schools usually are for profit. So there's one person, some private schools are also for profit, but charter schools, especially they have one person at the top that's collecting a paycheck. So they're going to cut the corners wherever they can. So people will do anything to get their kids out of the Columbus public school which were said to be awful, that uh, they weren't actually getting anything of value educationally out of those schools. So parents were trying to get their kids into charter schools. Well, they would take the state funding that was for the public schools and bring it with them because you get a per child cost, right? So that that fee now from the state is going with them to a charter school. But if they decide or don't make it in the charter school for various reasons. They have a lot of strict rules about behavior and academics. If they are removed from the charter school, that money does not go back to the public school with them. So public schools are losing funding. And what, again, what happens to the kids who don't have another option that can't get a bus or transportation to the school that's further away, that their parents maybe don't push and advocate for them. Who's going to be left teaching at the public schools when they're barely paying the teachers anything? Who's going to be, what resources are going to be left for the public schools? So it's this tricky balance of, okay, we're trying to provide better schools for them, but we're not fixing the schools that are there. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be somebody left. We can't get rid of public schools completely, at least not anytime soon. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's definitely a scary issue that's going on. And I'm sure some people are really feeling the impacts of all the privatization of of schools going on. I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I also thought was cool is that if you are on 
Twitter at all. It seems like there's a lot of authors that have formed this awesome community where they're always backing each other. And so uh, Angie Thomas, she's through Baltzer and Bray, publisher. So some of the other big name books that have come from that publisher are Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which was made into the movie Love, Simon. Uh, Dumplin', which was also made into a movie. So they've got these huge blockbuster movies and books, like bestseller books, but all of the main characters are... Uh, main characters that you don't see very often. Mm -hmm. Dumplin' is a plus-size girl. Uh, You have Simon, who's gay, and then you have Brie, and then I'm forgetting the main character in The Hate You Give. Star? Star. Star, yes. So, obviously, from Black community, and you just don't see a lot of popular books. So, it's awesome that this publisher is focused on getting these characters out there, but Angie Thomas had a lot of t- like callbacks to uh, some of those other books. She mentioned something about uh, Simon, that someone was reading the book about Simon. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. So it's cute little Easter eggs mm-hmm. that I saw that just shows that they're all kind of lifting each other up, which is which is really neat. Yeah. We should do that when we're bestsellers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> What were your thoughts on Aunt Pooh and some of her actions and (laughs) beliefs? Uh, Well, I already said this to you guys, but for our listeners, I was disappointed her name wasn't Winifred uh, when that came out because I wanted her to be Winnie the Pooh. Um, I wanted it so bad, Angie Thomas. Why? Yeah, she was she was a character. She she kept leaving Brie hanging when Brie needed her most, and then that's when Brie made bad decisions. So Pooh left, and then Brie made the song full of things maybe she shouldn't have been saying, and then Pooh left her hanging when like the song was out there, and that's when Supreme was able to step in. Mm-hmm. And so I I felt like Pooh really just kept letting her down, which is realistic. Adults aren't always going to be there for you, but. Um, yeah, and then she got arrested in that like bust, and I was like, I was disappointed in her. I was like, "Boo! How could you?" <laughs> well, I kind of saw that coming um, in advance, as far as um, who's the mind. She's she was basically tragic and and a gangbanger. But there was a good job done in the book to explain her path because when um, when her brother died, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about you know you know Bree had her mom, they had each other, and and Trey as a unit. And mom and dad had each other. She didn't really have anybody. And that's the way gangs work. Gangs work generally to give somebody a belonging, you know, to give them a family. You know, people don't just say, well, I want to make a lot of money robbing liquor stores, so I'm going to be part of the gang. That does, that's not how it works. A gang is tight because they give you they give you a family package and they give you loyalty at a certain level. No matter what that other gang member does, you're tight. And that's what people yearn and look for. That's why families exist. That's why, you know, certain groups exist. So her, and I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with the idea that she's still alive. I would say, is it a good idea? She should have should have gotten killed. But, um, and, and I'm kind of like the Grim Reaper when it comes to this. I, I always think somebody has to die. <laughs> that matters to the main character to make the story strong. But in this case, 
I guess it, if she's going to do another book on this character and her future and everything, I like the fact that Aunt Pooh's alive. If this would be the only book with her and telling her story, Aunt Pooh should have died. But um, I really look forward to the next book on this character and what she's doing next. So I'm glad that she's alive. I'm hoping that's a hint that we're going to hear more about Aunt Pooh after she gets out of jail and everything. But I totally get her character, her motivation, why she mm-hmm. did what she did. And she had an actual, you know, wisdom in some areas and, and, and stupidity in other areas that make her real. Yeah. I, I was glad she didn't die because uh, what is it? The Outsiders? Is that a book about like 50s gang people with Pony Boy? Yeah. Yeah. It, and and it ends, the 50s or 60s. Yeah. yeah. And it ends with the guy dying. He's like, stay golden, Pony Boy. And I was, <laughs> I was imagining like Aunt Pooh dying when all those cops showed up and being like, stay golden, Bree. <laughs> I felt like we couldn't have that storyline again because dad had already died. And so I think it was just providing a, a different path for her bad decisions that she was making and getting involved in the drugs. And, you know, I, I couldn't take Scrap seriously as a character, though, because he just he seemed like that weird sidekick that you get in movies like for comedic relief. Like, I don't know, just kind of a goofy, like, I don't know, that's just the vibe I got from him that he, that he was probably like the one probably making a lot of mistakes behind the scenes. But he was supportive of Brie and her rap, <laughs> whether he should have been or not. <laughs> I thought it was highly suspicious that he wasn't around when the cop bust happened. Well, I mean, I think I think Scrap played his role perfectly. It's not yeah. much of a role. You're a sidekick to a sideline character. So he's going to be two-dimensional. Yeah. He's going to be a rap fan. And he's not going to see the deeper meaning to her words when they first came out. You just, just say that, oh, that was fire. That was cool. Mm-hmm. So he was his two-dimensional expect itself. That's true. Yeah, you can't have everyone have a full backstory and clear motives. But yeah, I thought that it was kind of unfair of Aunt Pooh to just disappear for days on end, especially when she's like, I'm going to handle this, and then she just doesn't respond, like leaving people to believe she's dead, which I don't know if you just wouldn't have a charged phone and can't say, hey, look, I'm at least alive. Don't worry about me. Can't talk now. But that's a lot to put on Brie, and it seems like Brie has had to be the adult a lot. I mean, she lived with her grandparents, but even just the fact that she doesn't call her mom mom for a long time is like very telling about how she feels about her mom in the parental role. And then Aunt Pooh is what, only a couple years older than her? She was, yeah. There was not much of an age gap. So so even though she kind of sees Aunt Pooh as like a role model, I wouldn't even say role model. I don't know what you would call her, like authority, someone that she looks to for advice. It's not really the best person to be looking to for advice. So yeah, I I thought her brother was kind of a jerk for a lot of the book, knowing what they had both been through, that he could have been there for her a little bit more instead of kind of taking it out on her. By the end, he kind of came around. But he should know that, okay, I know you don't have a good relationship with mom, but don't go to Aunt Pooh. <laughs> like, yeah. She's not the replacement that you want. So. I like Trey from the beginning. Really? What did he do wrong? I don't know. I just felt like he was giving her attitude all the time. Like he, I know that he was not happy with her rap and her decisions there, but I felt, I guess that's not really fair of me to say, because he's also not her parent and he's not, 
he's only what 22 so he shouldn't have to play the dad role either but I didn't think he supported Brie in in the way that she felt like she needed well at the time that's a lot of times with children and she's basically a child, you're not going to support them the way they want you to because that's the wrong way to support them. Right. I think I think he saw total potential in her. But when that rap came out, he saw it. It's just like Malik and just like Aunt Pooh herself, who is a tragic figure in herself anyway, knew that that was not the, the right expression for her. And like so many other times with young teenagers, they make their mistakes when they're pissed off. That's mm-hmm. what happened with Brie. Mm-hmm. She was super pissed off. I mean, pissed off at a, a high level, justifiably so. But when you do your song right after that, it's almost always a mistake. Mm-hmm. Which which is good for the character, good for the story and everything. But I think Trey did his he did his job. I liked him from the very beginning, showing her responsibility, showing her that you sacrifice for your family because he could be in grad school. He was a, he was on he's Brainiac from Planet Seven. Okay, he's yeah. like has all this knowledge and stuff. Could easily go to grad school, but he knew that family came first. Yeah. So he was the one, and she did. She did follow him as far as how you follow a Big Brother. But the, you know, she's being pulled in directions because there's him and then there's Aunt Pooh, which is kind of like pulling in another direction. So it's she was confused a lot of times. Which way do I go? But um, as you know, going just to visit Aunt Pooh again real quick. The reason why she disappeared a lot, besides just being a drug dealer, when you're a high level drug dealing, you have a whole block or whatever. You're going to disappear sometimes. That's part of the job. But I think a lot of times she disappeared because she knew she was ashamed of what she was doing. That's why she didn't. She called it what she did in front of Bree. She's I'm handling my business. Right. As opposed to, oh, I'm gonna, I gotta drop off some product, or I gotta d- deliver some drugs, or pick up some drugs. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought this book, okay, it reminded me of this thing that happens with The Little Mermaid. So when you watch The Little Mermaid as a kid, <laughs> I know this is out of left field. I, I got whiplash. <laughs> So when you watch The Little Mermaid as a kid, you're on Ariel's side. You're like, but she loves him. And like, you want her to go out onto the land and you're like, yeah, give up your voice. You can do it. This is going to be great. Nothing will go wrong. And then like things go wrong. You're like, what? But then when you watch it and you're older and you're like, no, Ariel, no, no, no. And then she just like keeps making bad decisions. And then you're like, I told you so. And then it works out. That's what I feel like. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see. So when I you read this book... <laughs> I feel like the younger you are, the more you're like, yes, Brie. Yes, that song is great. Do it, girl. Go for it. Yes. Then you're like, oh, no, things are not going well. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But when you're older, you're like, Brie, no. Brie, Brie, Brie. Sit down, Brie. Don't do it, Brie. No. Yeah, but how many adults are reading this book versus probably middle school through high schoolers Mm -hmm. that are the same age or younger than Brie that are feeling like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then at what point in the book are they realizing, ooh, this was not a good choice. She's putting herself and other people in danger. Maybe I shouldn't try to do something like this. I think the school protest that the news construed as a riot might have been that. But they did attack the security guards, which I'm going to say is probably the main reason why this book is getting banned. I don't know. I don't know the reasoning. And it could be the guns and the drugs and the gangs and whatever. But there are other books that kind of touch on dark stuff like that. But like the standing up to what would be seen as an authority figure or, you know, someone in that kind of policing type of role, I think is what probably ultimately got it banned. Well, this might be the Eldritch Cleaver in me. Look up that name. As far as, you know, 
I can see on one side you're saying it's wrong that those two police, those guards got attacked. But it's proven in history time and time again. I'm talking about from the time of Marie Antoinette and the French Revolution and our revolution. You can only put your foot on a bunch of people's necks for so long Mm -hmm. before they're going to rise up against you and do something about it. That's what happened at that school. Because those two guys, it was obviously they had a history. They said it over and over again of targeting certain kids and treating them a certain way. And they finally got video of them putting somebody on the ground for selling candy. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know it was candy at the time. You know, they assuming drugs. They didn't even know there was anything. They didn't even know yeah, there was she anything. She just wouldn't show her, her back. So they throw her to the ground. They get Somebody's got their knee in her back and searching her. I mean, we're talking about stuff that revolutions get started with. It was amazing it didn't happen right then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having that song and everybody fired up and seeing those guys come back and and they see that the system is giving them no justice, they try to take it on their own. That's what people are going to do. I don't care what age you are. Yeah, I I agree. I think that a revolution was inevitable in the school system and and it's, it's brewing in our society. But young minds reading this, I worry about the danger that they're going to could potentially put themselves in because you don't know what's going to happen if you fight back for your own safety too. Like if they were to attack the security guards and get shot or whatever, I, I get the point that she's making. I get the point that you're making, but I worry about someone who's not really thinking through everything and being like, yeah, we're going to fight back and putting themselves in danger. Well, then I think if they do that, they didn't finish the book mm. because the thing that gets the most done is that parent conference with the superintendent or whatever, where they all go up to the microphone and they all say their piece. And then, you know, they keep putting pressure on that, that superintendent guy. Um, and that's what actually gets things changed. Whereas the, the chanting riotous situation really didn't get anything accomplished. Do you think that they would make that connection though? I think, I think there are some teens that would make that connection. And if there was a discussion being had about this book, which I think is important. Like if I know that some schools actually are reading this and the hate you give as part of their curriculum, if you have a discussion about it and make those conclusions but if they're just reading it on their own, they might think, oh, it's the riots that led to having this meeting, which led to... My personal opinion is that if... um if someone reads that and takes away, we have to go on the attack and attack somebody in the uniform, then it doesn't matter if they read this book or another book or something. If something else is going to bring that attack on. They mm-hmm. do, they're just ready for it. They want an excuse as opposed to learning something. Now, if, if someone... If someone has to take away of attack from that book, then I think that they're kind of on that road anyway. But there's, I think there's a greater potential for that young reader to read that and the consequences afterwards and kind of make it click in their head saying, well, you know, this is very similar to what I'm seeing on TV during the news and stuff like that. Maybe if we had like a sit down with some of these people, you know, there'll be a, a result kind of like what it did in this book. I know it's fiction, mm-hmm. but they, they do know how people act and react. Uh, you know, we 
I made the mistake of selling teenagers short, you know, early on in my career as a parent and grandparent. I think that we can give them a little bit more credit than just, you know, just being fired up to go and attack just because they read that that portion of the book. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think that, that you're right. If if they were taking this to attack, they already had that in their heart and in their mind that that's what needed to be done. Um, yeah, I think that, that this book will ultimately open up a lot of really important conversations. And I do think that it should be included in more schools rather than just being banned. Because if you ban something, then the kids are going to go read it anyway, and there's not going to be a discussion about it. But if you open it up in your classroom and say, what can we take from this? And how can we advocate for change in our own communities? That's more important than just trying to censor material. I'd like to ask you a question, Amber. Yeah. In your experience with, um, I guess, in getting your degree in in uh, education, you did work in actual schools, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what would you say is the the parent participation level generally in in schools? And I have a feeling it's not where it should be, but is it something that's a something that's something that we should be really worried about? That's you know at a catastrophically low level, or is at a medium level, or it's pretty good, or, or where where are we? Yeah, that's a great question. And it definitely varies a lot because I've had experiences in public low income schools. I've had experiences in high income areas where it was like doctors and professors as the parents. Um, I've had experiences in kind of middle ground public schools. um, And I would say there's both ends of the spectrum. You have the parents who, you know, your classic helicopter parents that are overly involved, that no matter what happens, it's the teacher's fault that their child is this perfect being and can do no wrong. (laughs) And every other child and adult in the situation is the one that's that's wrong. Um, But then I've had experiences too, where you can't get a hold of the parent, no matter what's happening. It's like they don't exist. You worry about that child getting enough food. Is this lunch that they have through the school program the only lunch that they're going to have? Do I need to bring them a coat? I've had kids where they don't they don't have a winter coat. It was Ohio in negative 10 degrees and they weren't allowed to go outside for recess because they didn't have appropriate clothing. So we tried to collect coats for them or whatever. So it is, I wouldn't say it's all this or all the other. There is a mix depending on on the location and and what's going on um, in the home life. But I think... you know, there's there's so many different situations. Like I had one student where her she was living with some distant relative because her mom was from Mexico and got deported. So she didn't even have a, a parent. I don't even really know who exactly this was relation-wise that she was living with. And she never had what she needed for school. And I think it brings up an interesting part of this book where the mom... She didn't want to go to the food pantry to get food or to get food stamps. And there's a lot of reasons why people might not want to do that. And I grew up very poor and we had to go to the food pantry to get food. And it was so embarrassing. Like my mom didn't want to get the food program at school either because everyone knows. Like you have this special little card 
and like all the kids know and it was just embarrassing and you try to just scrape by but you know as a kid I didn't think that the teachers or whatever would notice if I had kind of a weird lunch like oh it's just like some bread or whatever but then as a teacher, I noticed those things like, why do you have the most random things in your lunch? And then you realize, well, that's probably what they got from from the food pantry or that's they could get a loaf of bread for a dollar or, or whatever it is. And then you start to notice more things like that. And, and I think that's why a lot of people don't want to admit or accept that help because other people might notice. Yeah, I I never had food insecurity issues growing up. Um, we would like, you know, donate to the food pantry and do the fundraisers at school. And like, I didn't think about it at all. I was like, yes, people in like some other country are getting this food. They need our help. And, and then I think at one point, first grade, second grade, I like noticed someone at school like, wait, they were here before school eating breakfast. Why were they doing that? And like, oh, they have the hot lunch, but they, they didn't get to go to like whatever part of the hot lunch thing was extra money. I was like, what's what's going on with Billy? Like, <laughs> name was not Billy. Name redacted. And, it, and then I realized like, wait a second, not everyone at this elementary school has the same lifestyle as me. What's happening? <laughs> it's an eye opener. So I think maybe this book can like open people's eyes to what that is like and that no, you don't just go to the food pantry like, hey, everyone, let's go. Hooray. And like it, that it's something that you just kind of like, you don't make eye contact, put on little blinders and you're like, nope, we're just, yep, yep, yep. Let's get out of here. Yep. Thank right. you. Right. And then you run in, like she ran into Supreme at the thing when she was looking at the shoes and then it's like, oh, great. Like now this guy is like volunteering here and I have to admit that I was here to get the things that I need. And I think one thing that I I saw that I think other people would question is that, you know, they didn't have money for the electricity or like other things, but then they would go get food like at a restaurant or something like that. And I think a lot of people would be like, well, why is that? And sometimes you just need that little something, whether that's going out to eat with your friends or, or whatever, because that's the joy that you have in your life. And ultimately, that's really not going to be the difference of if you pay your electric bill or not. But I think that that's something that people be like, why? They shouldn't be going out to eat. Yeah. They have to pay their electric bill. Well, there's you know, one thing I do want to say is that, and you may correct me in the book, but Jay didn't have a problem going to the food pantry. She didn't have a problem with that. She had a problem with food stamps. Now, and I don't think her problem, now Brie had a problem with the whole shame thing. She didn't have a problem. Jay did not have a problem with the whole shame thing. Because number one, when you're a recovering drug addict, there's a lot of stuff that's been exposed, especially when you stay in the same neighborhood where you were an addict, mm-hmm. you getting talked about, it don't matter. Number two, you know, she was happy to go to those places and, you know, pick up food and everything. Her thing, and this is something that another huge issue in a lot of the, the African-American community, especially when you live in certain ways, distrust of the government. So I don't want the government knowing I'm getting these stamps. I don't want to be labeled as I'm getting something from the government or whatever. It's different taking that handout from the government versus what you see a food pantry as your community mm-hmm. giving you something. That's okay because all you do is get talked about in church, which is happening anyway. So <laughs> you might as well just do it. But when you go to the government and everything, there's a, there's a certain stigma with that. It, it doesn't make sense until you're in that boat. You know, but that's what that's what Jay's problem was. Now, of course, being a teenager, Bree's problem was just the fact that 
you know, we can't pay our bills. And now everybody's going to know we can't pay our bills. and We can't buy our own food and stuff like that. That's a typical teenager thing. Right. So, and, and I think that you make a great point too, is that there's a stereotype about going and getting food stamps and this idea of mooching off the government. And I, I like that this book provides the perspective of we don't want to do this. We don't have a choice. We need food. You know, it's not like, ooh, yes, let's let's go get our food stamps. This is so exciting. It's hard. It's hard to accept help in that way too. She dealt with so many little things that could easily be brushed over, but they're so important to be talked about. And again, you don't see this talked about in a lot of books, just yeah. the everyday experiences. It's not a fantasy. It's not, you know, a, a murder mystery type of novel. Like this is contemporary. These are real issues. I overheard a couple of elderly white people the other day, not going to say where they were. Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you guys later. Um, but they were they were discussing homeless people. And the woman was like, uh, well, you know, they want to be homeless. They choose that lifestyle. And I was like, what? No. And I thought of this book. And I was like, Brie and her family were on the brink of homelessness. And they were doing everything they could to not have that happen. And they were working so hard and trying so hard. And they still had to move back in with the grandparents at the end. And like, no one wants that. No one's like, you know, it'll be fun. A never ending camping trip, urban style. Like, no. <laughs> No. And it was very frustrating. And I think maybe if more people read outside of their own experiences, mm -hmm. they would understand more than just their own experience and the world may be a better place. And the trick is getting people to do that. I think it's getting easier now with more options, but I think you still have primarily white main characters, despite people like, oh, every book has to be diverse now or whatever has to have a trans main character or whatever. Like I've seen people on Twitter say stuff like that. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> look at the real numbers that are out there. Like the disparity between straight white middle to upper class main characters versus everybody else, any marginalized anybody. It's still, you just hear about some of these big books that have made it big. And so it seems like it, but okay, there's two books and Angie Thomas wrote both of them. <laughs> <laughs> She's just doing a rocking job. <laughs> <laughs> we did uh, hit a couple of tangents every once in a while. <laughs> circle back. But I, I think, I think that does, it's more testimony to the book that can create conversations like that. I think if three other people, if you take three other random people out there, have them each read the book and say, talk about the book, they will get on tangents too, because it touches on so many different social ills and and victories that, you know, it, it makes it a good catalyst for, for that sort of thing. And maybe a catalyst for change. So I, I like to say that about the book. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the, her next book and the one that I missed. So I, in addition to all of what we talked about, her writing style is good. I like mm -hmm. the way she does dialogue. Dialogue is very, very real. The way they talk. <laughs> one particular expression that I had to, you know, figure out is when she said somebody would kiss their teeth. We call yes, it, we called it we called it when I was growing we call it sucking your teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. so I'm I'm assuming that's the same thing. Yeah. But um, it does touch on how, you know, different actions and different things are called by different phrases wherever you go. So. Yeah, I actually had to act that one out to figure out what you was talking about. <laughs> you tried to, um, you kissed your teeth? Yeah, I, I was like, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is where I wish we were filming. But <laughs> I guess. Yeah, no, that's a great point that it has sparked a lot of tangents, but that's why these books are so important for teenagers and to have classroom discussions because imagine a classroom of 20, 25 teenagers with all different experiences or even broken up into small groups and the kind of discussions that you can have. So, hey, librarians and teachers out there, make sure that this is a book on your list for discussions. If you run like a teen book club, this would be great. Even if it's an adult book club, it would spark a lot of great discussions. Either of Angie Thomas's books, I recommend both of them. But I do have one very important question. Who do you think the rapper was at the end that tweeted at her? (laughs) The most important question we're going to ask. Well, being a person who knows almost no rappers, um, I'm going to guess it would probably be someone who has just hit a super peak in popularity. So maybe Lizzo? That's what I was thinking. But this book, I think, came out before she made her peak. But maybe there's no name so that you can fill in the book. Right, with whoever is hot at the moment on Twitter. Well, here's my two cents. Um, I, I do like to, I want to say this with the preface of, I like the fact that that was left open for us. Mm-hmm. That was the right way to go. Good job, author. Now that we're speculating, um, because of the lack, and I always feel this way about the books that we read, the lack of strong male quality as far as characters <laughs> in the book. I would like to think that maybe Chance was the one that sent out that tweet, you know, and that there's some positive chances. Are, I mean, Chance does a lot of positive stuff. and I like his style, I like his attitude and um, not so full of himself, that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of him spending time with her and guiding her through a career or, or you know, starting her off and giving her a boost. I like Chance. What if it was a throwback? Because she talked about, was it Missy Elliott, maybe? Uh, I, I don't think remember she that. She mentioned like classic female rappers. Oh, yeah. She mentioned Missy Elliott. She yeah. mentioned, uh, um, a, you know, a couple of the names, you know, the queens that she said she had post yeah. herself in her room. It would be great if it was one of them. That's yeah, that's so even better. Meaningful. That's even better. Yeah. yeah. It would mean it would mean something to her to have one of those her idols off the wall actually watching over her. Yeah. Yeah. Better, better choice. Better choice. I read somewhere someone's guess was Nas. Because she talked about him in the book. And Do another Old Country Road remix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's on Twitter all the time. And he he also does a lot of random stuff for people, doesn't he? Like, I saw some story about him, like, randomly donating a ton of money to some person that he heard about on Twitter. Now that he's got all this money from his, mm-hmm. his hits. So, I don't know. Angie Thomas, if you want to let us know who it's supposed <laughs> to be. That'd be great. But yeah, it's fun that that she left that open. You mentioned that there's not really a lot of strong male characters in her life, but she did have her brother. I like Trey. But I like to ask this question because we pick, we try to pick books that have strong female main characters. So did we succeed? Is she a strong lead character? I think yes. She made a lot of her own decisions, good and bad. Uh, and she followed through on things. She she was multidimensional. She was, you know, she had concerns about school and the ACT, but she was following her dreams and she was really skilled at it. And so I, yeah, I think she was a strong female character. I would definitely say she was a strong female character and caution the the listeners out there that strong female character doesn't necessarily mean that you have control over your situation. She had almost no control over her situation. That was one of the problems that she had. 
but how she handled it made her a strong character. And I think the main main two parts of her strength was her talent, her natural talent for what she wanted to do, and her potential. You know, she was obviously intelligent. She obviously had um, a way with being able to express herself that she eventually got a hold of the correct way and and do it the right way. Because that first song, she had it in her head. She understood those verses and what she was talking about and why she was doing it. But if she had done it in a slightly different way and, or combined, combined the exact same words with that video, you know, the video that they did, then that would actually get the message that she wanted to get across. And all of that was powerful. So, yes, she was a powerful character. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think, yeah, making mistakes, you can still be a strong female main character. I think she's probably one of the strongest main characters we've had in the books that we've read. There are some other strong ones, but I think as far as like pushing for change and that sort of thing. Uh, so what would you rate this book? Would you recommend it? I f- have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but, uh, and, you know, would you read her other books? Oh uh, yeah. Five, five out of five stars for me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Would recommend. Uh, I'm usually not a contemporary reader, but this one drew me in. Uh, it was such an easy read. I read it so fast. So I, I highly recommend it to honestly anyone, even if, even if like me, you know nothing about wrath or poetry, you're still going to get the story. Is that your first five out of five? It might be. Read? Yeah. I think so. A historic moment, ladies and gentlemen, I'm giving it a five. Oh, because and That's definitely I, your first yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it's my first one. I hardly ever give fives with the thought of there's no perfect book out there, but this one has come as close as I've read in a long, long time. Not only is the subject matter combustible, not only is it important, something that mm-hmm. a story that means something, but it was done well. The the dialogue was done well. It was I like the literary style and the, the characters were well fleshed out. I just I just like the whole experience of reading. I, I was done before I knew it. So yes, a five out of five. And I would recommend that book and any other book that she writes. Yeah, I I really loved it. I would give it a four out of five only because I loved I Hate You Give so much. And that one I like named like one of the best books I've ever read and, you know, promoted that one a ton. And like this one, I didn't like quite as much as that one. So that's the only reason why I'm not giving it a five. I don't think that's necessarily fair of me to compare no. it. if if i had only read this book and not the hate you give i think i would have given it a five out of five but just because i know what else she can write what she's capable of i can't i can't put this on the same exact level as as her other book it would probably be like a (laughs) (laughs) 4.75 and she wrote the other book first yes yes so so you think she's slipping I know. <laughs> no, no, Angie, no. <laughs> I'm saying that she set the bar so high for herself, and it was such a genre shattering book that she wrote first. That I think maybe that's why this one doesn't. I think because you guys haven't read the other book, that this is that genre shattering book for you. Whereas she did that for me with her first book. So now I'm kind of looking at it maybe in a slightly different way. Um, still loved it. Definitely recommend it to everybody and I'll read anything else she ever writes. You got me hooked. 
<laughs> so next month we will be reviewing The Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. So make sure you read that ahead of time so that you can listen and hear our spoiler-filled discussion on that. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out. Oh, 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 oh,